If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me, as always, is my co-host, Curtis. You can follow and interact with us on Twitter uh, at glory underscore UGA. You can email us at gloryujapodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, interact with us, check us out on our Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. Uh, We say this a lot, but we definitely mean it, guys. We love to get your thoughts, so always feel free to send them our way anytime. I do also want to go ahead and put a call out for your bold predictions for the 2017 season. It's just around the corner. We all know that. And we want to get your bold predictions. You see this stuff a lot during the offseason, kind of as the season approaches. You see like different writers, personalities, they kind of go out on a limb and, and give their bold predictions for the coming season. Try to kind of stand out. Um, but we thought we would do something a little bit different. We thought we would do that, but maybe a little bit differently. And what we want to do is ask you guys, our listeners, to send us your bold predictions for the 2017 season. We could give you ours, but that's kind of boring. We want to make this as interactive as possible. We want to hear what you guys have to say. This show's for you guys. We want to kind of give you guys a chance to voice, or have your voice heard. So please send us your bold prediction for the 2017 season. And what we're going to do, Curtis and I are going to discuss whether we're buying or selling your predictions. Um, and those predictions can focus on really anything. Uh, it can be on specific Georgia players, specific units, our overall record, uh, how we're going to finish in the East and the overall SEC, uh, where our opponents are going to finish, so on and so forth, really anything. So uh, our plan right now is to bring you guys that show on Tuesday of next week. So definitely be sending in your questions to Twitter at glory underscore UGA, email at gloryujapodcast at gmail.com, or on the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. Also, real quick here for our newer listeners, uh, just a heads up, you can find the show on most of the major podcasting platforms out there, including iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. So really just kind of pick your your preferred platform, whatever works for you guys, and just go from there. Uh, It would always uh, also be awesome if you would subscribe to and review this show as well. Uh, we, we, We do. We work hard to produce this show for all of you diehard Georgia fans out there who want uh, hardcore football substance in your Georgia sports talk. So we definitely want to know what you guys think and kind of see how close we're getting to that mark. But uh, all right, let's move into today's show. And what we're going to do today is we're going to try, try, I don't know how I'm, how well I'm going to be able to do this, but we're going to try to take off our red and black colored glasses that, look, we I admittedly, I don't know about you, I would admit this, I, that's kind of how I see things through. I see it through the red and black colored glasses. But saying that, uh, we, I think you can do that. You can obviously be a Georgia guy like we are and still be as objective and realistic as possible at all times. Um, you, can, you can kind of be that unapologetic Georgia fan and also be realistic. But admittedly, we are like all of you out there, and we do see the world through red and black glasses. But today, 
we want to try our best to take those glasses off and look at this team and look at this particular season as objectively as possible. Uh, and I think, it, generally speaking, of course you can never speak in absolutes and say everyone, but generally speaking, there is a lot of optimism surrounding this team and their chances to compete for a championship in 2017. Is that fair to say, Kurt? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some a lot of, a lot of optimism out there. It started really in earnest back in December, before even the bowl game. I think it was like mid-December 15th or so, something like that, uh, where Chubb, Michelle, Lorenzo, Bellamy, they all announced they're going to be returning for their senior years. That's kind of where it all kicked off. Everyone's like, oh, hell yeah, man, we're about to roll this next 2017 season. But then it kind of persisted through the offseason. Of course, we signed the number three recruiting class in all the land, and that just upped the ante even more. The excitement grew more and more. And then in July, just a couple weeks ago, the media picks us to win the SEC at SEC Media Day. So many, certainly not all, but many in the Bulldog Nation are very optimistic and expecting significant improvement in year two of the Kirby Smart era. And and look, Curtis and I, like Kurt, wouldn't you say we've been included in that for the most part? We expect improvement. Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to. Yeah, like we've, we've been in that camp. But saying all that, it's also clear out there, if you pay attention, that not everyone around the country necessarily sees it that way. There are a number of prominent members of the national media that have far-reaching platforms. Maybe it's just because they have those platforms, you hear them. Uh, but there are guys out there, led by, of course, you know, the infamous ESPN, Greg McElroy. Uh, but is he a prominent member of the media? Can we call him that at this point? I don't know. Not really. Yeah, not really, but he's a name. And if you're a Georgia fan, you know uh, he's been kind of all over us uh, in the not positive way. He's been hating on us all off-season long, and he's just one of several of those prominent, or at least semi-prominent, members of the national media who have been, uh, I would say, at least hesitant to buy into our hype coming into the 2017 season. So today what we want to do is we want to take a close, objective look at this team in an attempt to determine who's right. How reasonable is it to expect significant improvement from this team to the point that we are title contenders? Because uh, I, mean, I, I do, I want, I want to be as fair as possible. This maybe McElroy and some other guys, maybe they're onto something. I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. We'll get into that. But we want to look at this as objectively as possible and see if all the improvement uh, that people are expecting is really going to come to fruition this year. And to do so, we're going to do this a little bit different. It might be kind of weird at first, but I th- we're going to roll with it. I'm going to play the role of the devil's advocate. That's going to kind of throw cold water on the idea that we are poised to take a big step as a program in 2017. And Curtis is going to play the role of the hero, the knight in shining armor, and he is going to attempt to refute me. Uh, So before we begin, I just want to throw this out there. Please understand that I am playing a role in this particular show for the most part. Everything I say is not necessarily what I believe. I'm just kind of trying to present as clear a picture as I can from both sides of this argument. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely work my own beliefs in the equation, tell you guys what I do believe, but uh, a lot of this is going to be playing a role of the devil's advocate, so just putting that out there. So that's how it's going to work. Let's go ahead and roll and see if it does indeed work out. So, Kurt, I'm going to start broadly here, okay? And uh, just start with this. I don't want you to, when you answer, I don't want you to get into too many specifics, because we'll get into the specifics here momentarily, but just broadly on a general level. This is a team that is coming off a 7-5 and five regular season. Yes, you won the bowl game, you go 8-5, and five, but regular season we were 7-5. and five. There's also a team that was six points away from being 4-8. and eight. We had a two-point win against Nichols, a one-point uh, win at Missouri, and a three-point win 
at Kentucky. I think that adds up to six points, right? So that's six points away from being four and eight. Easily, easily could have lost any three of those games. In fact, we were losing late, very late, at both Missouri and Kentucky. Nichols came way too close for comfort. So very realistically, we could have been four and eight. So, Kurt, without getting into the specifics, we will get there. How big of a step are we realistically poised to take in 2017? Um, I think realistically you have to think we are poised to take a bigger step. I mean, usually with new coaches and everything, you see the biggest step in year two when people are getting more comfortable in the system. And last year, you know, and I get the specifics, I mean, we had a lot of young players and inexperienced players and players that just weren't up to the uh, – Cap- uh, you know, weren't capable of what we needed and things. And I think at the same time, our coaches, um, it took them a while to really understand what we had and try to do everything we can with, you know, the talent we have. And I think the coming of this year, you just get the coaches have a better idea of what they have and what they want to do with this team, what we have to do to be successful also. Okay, that's fair. But you don't think at some point during the season last year the coaches knew the talent they had on hand? Yeah, to, right away, probably not. But by, by mid-season, did the coaches yeah, not understand I mean, I, what I've we had been, on hand? I've, I've been one to say that. I mean, they probably did. But I think at the same time, they, they were being a little head, you know, headstrong trying to say this is the way we're going to do it, trying to force their way upon it. And I think this year um, they might change. You know, they're going to try to fit the scheme a little bit. But at the same time, I think they're trying to push some kids out of there. That's fair enough, and, I, and this is my opinion now, I'll throw this out there. Uh, I do think it's, there's something to say, like, you know, by midseason, once you realize, oh, man, we don't exactly have the horses to run the kind of system we want to run offensively, it's really hard midseason to completely revamp and throw everything out and, and completely revolutionize your offense midseason. That's almost impossible because you've got a game plan for other opponents, you've got to watch film, you have 20 hours a week with these guys. To revolutionize your offense, you don't have any time for install. You can't completely revamp your offense. You can tweak it here and there. Um but and you can kind of focus on parts of your offense that maybe you that don't require you to to be that downhill type team, which we did. Which we I think we did to a degree. I will say that. I don't think we did as, maybe as well as we needed to. Um, but I think what we were hoping to be able to be, we we I think we figured out pretty quickly we couldn't be that. But by that time you're in the season, camp's over. You don't have time for all the install. So it'd be interesting to see what it looks like with the entire offseason to kind of plan around some of those deficiencies that were identified last year. I think that's fair to say. So that's a good point there. All right, well, let's get into some specifics here. I'm going to start offensively, and I'm going to start with uh, the offensive line, which I think is a major concern right now, uh, at least coming into the season. So, Kurt, I, again, here I am playing the role of the devil's advocate. Kurt, this is an offense offensive unit that finished 113th nationally in power success rate. Here, I'm going to throw some advanced stats at you guys. Power success rate, if you're not, we've used this a lot on the show, but if you're new to the show, uh, power success rate, uh, that essentially looks at when you're third and fourth and two yards or less, how many times are you converting in those situations? Uh, that's, that's, that's a telling stat for an offensive line. We finished 113th nationally in power success rate. We were 94th nationally in stuff rate, which means the number, the percentage of plays that are run that are stuffed at or behind line of scrimmage. 94th nationally in stuffed rate, which basically tells you we're getting no movement up front at all last year, that offensive line. We finished 101st nationally in adjusted line yards, which is uh, a stat where they basically uh, adjust it to see how many yards on running plays are should be attributed to the offensive line play, not to the running back. Uh, and then you, we were 58th nationally in adjusted sack rate. And and on top of those terrible numbers, we lose three senior starters who are expected to be replaced by either the, their backups from last season that weren't good enough to unseat them last year and or 
a few highly touted, yes, but 18-year-old true freshmen on the offensive line. So explain to me how exactly we expect to be improved on the offensive line. Looking at those numbers from last year, I know it's a new unit, but those numbers from last year and you lose three senior starters that you're going to replace with their backups and or 18-year-old true freshmen. How are we going to be better on the offensive line? Um, the biggest reason is I think we have more of what we want. I know we have some inexperience in certain positions, but at the same time, you know, one big thing I always say is, you know, we yeah, they were seniors, but they weren't playing like seniors. We weren't getting what you expect out of seniors. You expect seniors to be, your, you know, the anchors of your offensive line, the one not making mistakes, the one that you can go behind in crunch time, and they weren't. I mean, some of those stuff rates, we would try to run behind those upperclassmen, and they went nowhere for us. So sometimes um, talent just overcomes, you know, Experience. Uh, at certain times and at the same time I mean you gotta look at the last year we had a, um, one big thing wasn't even looking to Blano we moved Gilliard over to center who was the starter last year at guard because Kenley was not ready to go um, he was gonna I mean he he's a registered candidate like he ended up being and that's rightfully so how he should have been and um, that was better for his future and I think at the, the Bulldogs at the time and I think one big thing also for this team is you know last year our offensive line pretty much stayed the same for the most part other than, you know, um, when getting some reps and left tackle and things like that because we just didn't have other guys who could come up off the bench um, that even though they may not be – they may be young and inexperienced, they still have the athletic ability and the strength to do certain things that um, st- our starters can at times. And I think that's a big thing to have is to have not only depth but some quality depth. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so you, you basically think we have more talented options this year? I, I believe so. I think we have more talented options um, that just allow us to do some certain things and, if you know, shuffle our line more than how we were able to last okay. year. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let me throw this at you, though. Uh, just answer me two questions here. Do we have Pat Allen on the roster last year? Yeah. Was Dyshawn Sims on the roster last year? Yeah, and rightfully so. I don't think either of them will be the starter for long. I, I, I certainly I, I, hope that's the case because these are in guys. Practice, Pat Allen's already been replaced by a true freshman at guard who the kid has come in to play tackle. Well, he's also moving around and playing some at, at, at right tackle, also. I think part of that's because a win was being out, but we'll yeah, see. But we'll at see. the same time, right now, they're talking about at right tackle, you're seeing a lot of uh, Ben Cleveland and Isaiah Wilson getting reps and Pat Allen not getting any reps. Yeah, yeah there's, there's definitely State. still, you're right, there's definitely still some time in fall camp for things to shake up. But those and, two well, guys. I also want to point this out with our offensive line. One thing that did not help it is our lack of offensive identity as a whole. I mean, um, you know, we tried to be a power team, and we just weren't a power team. I mean, you saw if we went to shotgun, we ran the ball better. Um, instead of trying to run, I mean, when you saw this during short downs, things like that, you know, we tried to power, and we just didn't have the strength to do it. We basically um, couldn't be the team that we wanted to become in the season. That's a hard adjustment to make. Yeah, like you said, I mean, once you get in the season, it's hard to change who you are, and I think that's one thing that affected our offensive numbers is, we tried to be someone we weren't, and it was too late to really make a meaningful change, and that went into also, you know, affecting our numbers. And you know, you have a freshman quarterback who doesn't know doesn't know all the calls and everything's right away. That you know, an experienced guy may be able to make change plays or you know, certain things. I mean, there's a lot of factors that went in there that can affect the offense line, even though they weren't that good. There's other outside factors too. That's true. Quarterback and you guys getting your your offensive line in the right protection. All the I mean, offensive Nick line Chubb does. Wasn't fully healthy. Didn't have a quick bur- the burst he's had before, so he didn't get through whole like he used to yeah uh, that's that's fair that's and all those are 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 fair points to make i'll just say this and i'll go back to pat allen dyshawn sims and look i i readily admit there's plenty of time for change to be made for shuffling to happen and that's probably likely to happen but if pat allen dyshawn sims who were in the starting unit in the spring who started fall camp at in the starting unit who were at the open practice as the starting unit 
those are two guys that were on the roster last year who were not freshmen last year and who did not play. I mean, Dyshawn Sims played, he played a fair amount, but not a ton. He wasn't a starter. Pat Allen played basically none. Those guys were on the roster last year. And at, so think about this. If, as bad as we were last year on the offensive line, as little movement as we got, as, as often as our interior linemen were on roller skates, those two were not good enough to unseat the starters from last year. Yeah, and they're I mean, expected to start it. this year, and we're going to be better? I, 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 That's hard to believe. Saying, if those two start for us, then we are in trouble. I mean, I'm, I I agree with those, you know, the people against them. I mean, our offline, if those but guys are But the scary thing starting, is, I think Pat Allen, I think he very well could be replaced by the time the season starts. I don't know about Dyshawn Sims. It seems like he is in the plans. I think Dyshawn, unfortunately, made I, – I see – Because even though we moved some around this week, he got, he's still in the starting unit. Still, I I think he may be, but I don't see him the whole se- him being there the whole season. Like last year, there was no change. And I mean, I know coaches; they always say that, you know the best players going to play, and I do believe that for the most part. But I also believe that if you're a redshirt senior, they give you the benefit of the doubt. They give you every opportunity well, to win the job. The They're giving him every opportunity. They right don't now. want to put certain people in a position that they aren't ready for at that moment. And I, that's one thing. Last year, you know, we talked about why we didn't switch off the line. We didn't have the ability to, and I think this year, as the season goes on, we have the ability to be able to put plug some guys in that are better once they get some more experience. Yeah, I just and I know I keep harping on this night, and I just I I don't like to hate on our guys. I don't. Because they, they do, I mean, these guys put a lot of time for us. They really do. But I just, I'll be, I have to be honest here. If, 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 and I don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. But based on how the spring in and, how, and what we started the fall with, if Pat Allen, Dyshawn Sims are there to open the season, I mean, we might be able to get by against Appalachian State, against Notre Dame. As bad as that defensive front is, I, I still don't know. I just, I don't, I don't feel comfortable against a Power 5 team with those I mean, guys in the lineup. I, you have no argument from this side. I agree. Yeah, I just don't know. So I, I'm just I'm letting I'm a, I want to let it play out, but I'm still concerned because there's a possibility those guys could be the starting lineup, and that's the case. Uh, I don't still don't know how much better gonna be in the offensive line. And I, I'll say so. And now let's turn off devil's advocate. And let me just give you kind of my outlook on this real quick. Um, Kurt, you had a really good take on it, man. You're, you're definitely I'm with you on a lot of fronts there. I will say, I, I, as I mentioned, I still have some serious concerns over the offensive line. This is the, probably the area that I still have the most concern right now on the team. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. It comes to me, our offensive line, and, and your expectations for improvement or not improving on the offensive line this year, it comes down to what do you value in players on the offensive line. Are you more of a talent guy or more of an experienced guy? What side do you lean to? Obviously, it's ideal to have talented, experienced players, but we don't have that right now. We either have guys who are experienced and marginally talented or guys who are very talented but entirely inexperienced. So it's which side do you prefer? Which side do you think is more valuable? Because uh, that's what we're doing. We are trading experience for a very for very young talent this year. Three senior stars who are not great. They're gone. Their experience is gone. Uh, but we've got young guys who are who are at least they seem to be very talented. So on one hand, you could see how as an outsider looking in at our program from afar, you could see how that outsider would say, "Well, George is losing three senior stars in the offensive line. How can you expect them to be better?" But on the other hand, the response to that would be, "Well, like I said, those three senior starters weren't very good anyway." And we have nowhere to go but up. Um, but I will say, I, I'm not so sure about that. This whole idea that we can't be any worse than last year. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we could. I hope not. But I think it's possible we could be. I mean, look at last year. And we talked about this before. You know this, Kurt. Last year, our deficiencies across the offensive line were physical, right? Yeah. The guys just couldn't execute. They were not up to the task physically. They weren't big enough to execute. Those guys last year, you know, the Pikes, uh, the Cablanos, those guys, they knew what to do. 
and they communicated well. They just simply weren't physically able to execute what they knew and what we wanted to do offensively. And this year, it's kind of flipped. Some of our young options are definitely more equipped from a physical standpoint. Already, as 18-year-old true freshmen, Isaiah Wilson, guys like that are bigger and stronger from that standpoint than what we had last year. But saying that, those same young options, are with that youth and experience, you would imagine there's going to be more blown assignments and more mental mistakes. So I just it, it's just hard to know until they get out there. It's just really hard to know. I mean, take Isaiah Wilson, for example. We saw him out there on Saturday physically. That dude, as an 18-year-old, is ready to contribute right now, physically, right? We, we saw his yeah. body. I mean, he, he that's not a problem. Usually one of the problems with 18-year-olds coming and playing the offensive line is you're going against grown men on the other side of the ball. Wilson can handle that. That's not a problem for him. It's it's from a technique perspective, an understanding what to do perspective, that he has to show that he's ready. And he's not there right now. And it's an, it's impossible to know when he will be, when Schaefer's going to be, when Johnson, when Andrew Thomas was like Andrew Thomas might be the closest to being racist. since he's getting some work with the ones at left guard right now uh, with uh, Isaiah Wynn out with an illness for a couple days. So the question you face is, are you better off with a veteran who knows what to do but isn't always physically capable of actually doing it, or are you better off with a true or redshirt freshman who has all of the physical ability in the world, but very little idea what to do with it right now. So that's so either option I don't think is great. Um, I, I'll say this. I think there is there, the potential is there for at least slight improvement up front. We have bodies. There's gonna, they're going to make mistakes, but the, the potential for improvement is there. The question becomes how much improvement. So even if this unit does improve, are you? is there any scenario where you see significant improvement up front? see a lot but I think you'll see some I think you can see slight improvement up front because we do like you, you mentioned we have more overall talent as young as it may be uh, we do have more viable options I just don't see how you can expect significant improvement up front particularly if the five that finished the spring and walked out with the number one you know Saturday end up being the guys we lean on that line is just not going to be good enough it's just not at all um, all right let's move on to the running game here now the offensive line obviously is involved in the running game some but let's try to focus on um the combination here of offensive line, running backs, so on and so forth. So just looking at the running game numbers from last year, it's hard to believe because um, we wanted to be a downhill running team. We wanted that to be our identity, clearly. But we ended up the season 13th in the SEC in runs of 20-plus yards uh, with explosive run plays. 13th in the SEC. We had one more explosive run play. Uh, we had 15. Then Ole Miss had, and they had 14. And we know the trouble Ole Miss had to run the football under Hugh Freeze. Uh, we also only averaged 4.6 yards per rush, which was good for ninth in the SEC. So this was not an explosive rushing offense, which is kind of what we were hoping to hang our hat on coming into the season. So uh, the offensive line plays a part in this. We've already talked about them. So let's look at the other side of the equation, Kurt. Do you? Ex- I mean, do we really? Can we really expect to see significant improvement in the run game in terms of explosiveness this year in, in, um, in big I think plays? We can. I, I think you already saw it. Just like one catch by Nick Chubb in the spring game, he looks more explosive. And at the same time, I think the offense as a whole, you know, what plays we ran really hurt us. Um, you know, our play calling, um, our offensive identity was really, you know, handicapped us. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm talking about the fact that also, you know, we had no true deep ball threat passing wise. We had no our passing game wasn't enough to really make us a dangerous team to keep teams off balance. And they were just stacking the box against us, taking away our run game. And we had an inexperienced quarterback, a bad offensive line. All those things added up to it. And, True, and, but know, even in stacked boxes, I mean, I know it's hard to break through that initial line, but once you break through the initial line and it's against a stacked box, it should be clear saying you have one, well, yeah, one deep safety. you got to make the one safety miss and go. Chubb who didn't, you had Nick Chubb who didn't have that burst. You get caught 
yep. plays where he used to break those, where he'd run right through them, he'd get caught. And, you know, when we finally made the switch to running from the shotgun, our offensive, I, you know, the way we ran the ball really changed, and we actually improved our running attack, running from the shotgun and things like that, which, you know, just gave us a little wrinkle that we hadn't yeah. done. Yeah, I mean, all that's true. Um, look, the the running game, the issues there, it's part offensive line, it's part scheme, it's also part the running backs. I know we, we want to heap a lot of praise on our running backs because we should. Those guys have been fantastic for us. But last year, um, maybe not as much as their first couple years. I mean, go back and rewatch games from last year, guys. I spent the entire summer watching all these games, and I know I was shocked, and I think you guys would be surprised as well if you go back and watch them. How many times Nick Chubb actually did get to the second level with one guy to make miss, and he just couldn't make that guy miss either. He couldn't blow by him. He couldn't run over him. Uh, he couldn't put a move on him to make a miss. He couldn't keep his feet. In his freshman and sophomore years before the injury, Nick Chubb always made that guy miss. Think about yeah, that's one thing. I always. mean, he, he, he just, didn't last. Year. No one missed on him. No one. Like it, in one, I mean, it, it was shocking to me. I know it's an old cliche. You, you can't bring that guy down with one tackler. And that used to be true of Nick Chubb. Last year, that wasn't necessarily the case. You hit his legs, he was, for the most part, going down. He wasn't breaking those tackles like he used to. I'm going to go back to the Louisville game in that bowl game his freshman year, right? Remember the, down we were down on the goal line, our goal line, backed up against our own goal line. And they had the box stacked. He makes a couple quick moves, and had, he comes to get through the line. And then he's one-on-one with safety, makes a quick move to the outside, boom, he's go, and he's off to the races. That did not happen consistently for me. I mean, he did he's fine a time or two, but there were – Plenty of opportunities where the line did actually get him to the second level, and he could not make that one guy miss. He could not break that tackle, which is not that was very uncharacteristic of the Nick Chubb that we have, we were accustomed to seeing come into the last season. And I have to believe a lot of that it can be attributed to his injury, right? Yeah. So, and here, hear me. I'm not playing devil's advocate. I'm just giving my real thoughts. It seems like Nick Chubb is back to the Nick Chubb of old, based on what we saw in the spring, based on what we saw at the open practice. It looks like, much of what you hear around the team, it seems like he is back to the old Nick Chubb. If that's the case, and he can get back to consistently making that one guy miss, then you can see some of those more explosive rushing plays. Uh, and Sony the same. I mean, Sony had Sony had a couple of those. Actually, I think Sony might have had more explosive run plays than Nick had last year, even in fewer opportunities, or at least very similar in fewer opportunities. So if Chubb can get to that, back to that that type of running back where he can make those guys miss in the hole, make the guys make the, the safeties who are rushing up in run support, make those guys miss, give them a stiff arm, give them a quick move, whatever, but just break the tackle, whatever it is, then I think we can we can make some big plays. There were many times we were one man away from breaking a huge rushing play and just it, it didn't happen. He didn't make those guys miss on the regular uh, like he used to. He used to embarrass people like in that Louisville game. But uh, that was not the version of Nick Chubb that we saw last year. I, I hope that's if, – if that is the guy we see this year – I think you can see some improvement there. Uh, and, and also, if you, like you mentioned, the passing game improves. It's, it's all connected. Then you have fewer stacked boxes, more room to maneuver, so you can also see some things happen there. But let's talk about the passing game. You brought that up a minute ago. All right, back on Devil's Advocate here. All right, Kurt, Devil's Advocate. This is, a, this is an offense uh, that put up a 55% completion percentage as a whole last year. Grayson Lambert had a couple passes to open the season, but it was mainly Jacob Beeson, 55% completion percentage as a team. Uh, we were 13th in the SEC in yards per attempt. We were also 13th in the SEC in quarterback rating. And we averaged under 200 yards a game in passing offense. So these are horrific numbers. I mean, we were abysmal throwing the football. So, okay, there's, I mean, you can expect, you know, from one year to the next, there's going to be at least moderate improvement. You know, you got guys in the system. 
but are we really poised to make that big of a jump in year two under uh, Jim Chaney and with Jacob Eason? I mean, those were bad numbers last year. How much improvement oh, yeah, can you they see? Were bad numbers, and we lost our biggest, you know, our biggest, our uh, biggest contributor in Isaiah McKenzie. But I think the biggest thing is we've actually got finally, finally found three guys that can be our starters. Um, one of the biggest problems last year was the fact that we pretty much had to have two different packages: a run blocking package and a pass block pass running package i mean people knew what we were going to do based on who we brought in um and this year i don't think that's the case as much as i think our three starters are guys that are going to do it all are going to try are going to do it all for us and i think those three starters being uh riley ridley javon wins and terry godwin yeah even godwin's put on and that was one of his issues that when he didn't see the field as much as he wasn't a great blocker he's actually put on a, a good amount of weight no, like and see, and he's better in the slot blocking sure. things from there instead of matched up on bigger corners. Um, and one thing also, you know, is when we talk about it, is you saw when Wims and Riley really started really to emerge later in the season, our passing game did start to pick up at times. You know, we had a few deeper, uh, you know, long completions that we hadn't had a majority of the season. Um, you know, last year coming uh, into the season, I mean, we had more than we had at the beginning. I mean, that's we had true. A, we did more than we had at the beginning, which was basically nothing. Wins against Kentucky, you had Ridley make a couple of nice catches. All um, done, yeah. Um, and the biggest thing was coming into the season last year, we were relying on people like Jason Stanley and Michael Chigbu to be our go-to guys. Yeah, I believe. And right him. now, they're close to being on the outside looking in. Well, Chigbu's still getting some reps for the once. And but, I mean, he's still getting reps, but when it comes crunch time, he's not going to be the guy. I mean, like Vanderbilt last year, he dropped passes yeah. on that final It'll drive. It'll be interesting to see how that – how that, uh unit progresses through the uh, rest of fall camp. And I think this year, too, we have, I think we have, um, you know, we didn't sign any five stars, but I still think we have better depth and better players, um, younger guys that are going to continue to develop that will push our older guys, too. I mean, last year you had backups like Reggie Davis and stuff. I mean, they were, they were plateaued out. Okay, well, let me put my devil's advocate hat back on here. So you're talking about you think we have more talent, some guys that are ready to make some big plays for us at the wide receiver position this year. But let's look at the stats, okay? Our top two returning wide receivers, based on production from last year, is Terry Gowan and Riley Ridley in terms of returning guys. They combined for a total of 635 yards receiving last year, which is a grand total of two more yards than Isaiah McKenzie himself put up last year and five touchdowns less than what McKenzie put up by himself last year. So that's our top two returning producers from the wide receiver position. So we're really going to be better with those numbers? Really? I'm back with this very fair. That's a very fair question. But think about it. Isaiah McKenzie played an entire season in that position. Uh, Terry Godwin never fully got into the lineup consistently, and he was always played out of position. He's better in the slot, and that's where he's, uh, you know, more effective. And at the same time, you had Riley Ridley, who didn't even really play. He had uh, broke his hand or broke something at the beginning of the season. It didn't really get, it didn't really make a first catch or two until the Tennessee game when he makes that big time catch. And then um, after that, he battled a few injuries, and he he started to make a few more plays for us. But at the same time, I mean, we weren't competing, completing plays, but when we were, you know, may have completions, they were going to him. Um, so I think that you got to think about that is the context of how much, how little they played or were targeted compared to Isaiah McKenzie, where our offense was trying to get him the ball as often as we could. And Terry, by virtue of the fact, and we talked about this before during the offseason, by virtue of the fact, again, I'm putting on my just regular Tyler hat here, um, by virtue of the fact that Isaiah McKenzie emerged so early in the season as a playmaker for us, that kind of messed somewhat with our plans for Terry Godwin. I think primarily we were hoping, you go back and watch the uh, the opening against North Carolina, Godwin got more snaps there in the slot than he did most of the rest of the season. I think we were playing on him being our slot receiver. That's where he fits better. We mentioned that. But when McKenzie emerged as a playmaker like that, well, 
So if you put Terry at slot, then you're going to have to take McKenzie out. We couldn't afford to take McKenzie out because he was the one making plays. Yeah, McKenzie so, can only play the slot. Right, Terry, exactly. And Terry, can, Terry can be outside, serviceable but outside, but he's that's not where he's going to be a, a great playmaker. Whereas you put him on the inside where he can operate in the middle of the field, use his quickness and his route running ability. I think that's where he fits best, and I think you'll see a better Terry Godwin. So I think that's a fair point from you. I do, I do agree with you that Riley Ridley. Um, you know, the injuries part of the season kind of set him back a little bit. And he was kind of up and down. He had some games where he would emerge and do some things. Like obviously, the Tennessee game where he should have won the game for us, but whatever. And um, he was a true freshman, too. And he was a true freshman, exactly. Uh, kind of learning what to do. Uh, you know, he had some games where he did well, some games where he almost was non-existent. It seemed like he wasn't even playing. Uh, but I think he's ready to take that next step this year. It'll be interesting to see what the suspension is, if there's a suspension. Um, I don't know if we follow the Alabama protocol, then probably not. Uh, I think Javon Wims. I mean, he came on strong late in the season, and we caught the, he, he caught that one against Kentucky. He also, I, people don't remember this because he got called back, but he caught a very similar pass, uh, vertical shot down the field against Auburn. It was called back for a, what I think was a phantom holding uh, against Tyler Catalina, but um, that was another great play that just didn't show up in the stat book. So I think those guys emerged later in the season and seemed to be poised to do some big things. But still, now I'll put my Devil's Abbey hat back on. They still didn't put up a ton of production. So there's very little in the way of proven production returning. Very little. That doesn't mean they can't do it, but they haven't proven. And I, look, I, I am of the you opinion. You that last year. Isaiah McKenzie had zero, true. Uh, barely any production yeah, going into last true. year, and look what he did. That's true. Fair point. Fair point there. So I honestly, and I'm just tell you from my perspective here, uh, and you guys know this, I'm not worried about the wide receivers. I'm really not. And maybe that's not irrational to me. Because they, there's not a ton of proven production, but I've seen these guys play now. I saw them at, the, uh, at one of the scrimmages in the spring. I saw them at G Day. Uh, I saw them at practice on Saturday, uh, and I saw them last year too. Where they, they, you could, you could see the talent oozing from Javon Williams and Riley Ridley. They just had to put it together. And you imagine when the offseason on the belt, they're going to be able to put it together. And then you see some of these new guys coming in. I think we're going to be just fine at wide receiver. I really like what we got in Kill Crumpton in the slot. I mean, our slot is set. We got Kill Crumpton, you got Miko, you got Terry Goddard. I don't know how you can get all those guys the ball. I mean, Kirby mentioned that we got so many guys to the ball to now, which is a good problem to have. Like, how do you get all of these guys the ball? Really, is going to be a weapon for us. I'm, I'm really high on Javon Wims. Um, there's some guys. I mean, Godwin obviously. There's some guys that are going to do some big things for us. JJ Holloman, Mark Webb. These guys are already working in with the ones and twos. So I'm okay with where we are with a, with the receiving core. Excuse me, uh, but now let's move here real quick. I'm talk about Jacob Eason a little bit in the exposed in the in the explosiveness in the passing game. We were only 11th in the SEC last year in passing plays of 20 plus yards, two ahead of Vanderbilt. And if you watch Vanderbilt play, you know that's uh, terrible. Uh, we were 96 nationally in ISO PPP, which is basically isolated points per play, which uh, is an explosiveness statistic. In Eason, the famous stat that Greg McElroy threw, so I think you got it right. He was 8 of 49 on passes of 20 yards, 20 plus yards down the field, which is like 16%. Just terrible. So give me a reason why the offense, the, the passing game would be more explosive and more efficient this year. Because those numbers don't seem to say. Um, you know, last year he was very inaccurate, and I hope that changes. Um, you know, I think it will change. I don't know how much more accurate he'll get on the deep ball. Um, one thing that really. Um, handicapped us too was our routes and our you know our play calling i mean there are certain plays at times where they you know the play call would be set up perfect he'd either miss the guy or he hit the guy i mean I, what comes to mind is the vanderbilt game we try to run the ball game but you know easton throws over 300 yards including a very nice uh pass to isaiah or um isaac nada in the right corner of the end zone on a very beautiful route he was wide open um so it's more or less he either hit the guy or he missed him or 
our guys, honestly, we didn't have any deep threats that could get open. And when they did, a lot of times, I mean, we had some probably 30 to 40 yard bombs that were dropped by our guys, um, including multiple touchdowns. Yeah, it was it was a comedy of errors on all parts. We couldn't protect very well. Uh, when Eason was protected and had time to make throws and guys were running open, he would just miss them. Uh, when he would actually put the ball on guys, they would drop the ball, a la Jason Stanley against Ole Miss, Isaiah McKenzie a couple times. I mean, we all remember Isaiah McKenzie winning the game against Missouri, that that catch. We also dropped one in the end zone. It should have been an easy touchdown. Uh, Terry Godwin had a couple drops. I mean, all of the guys had drops at some point. And some of those were big drops that were very painful and could have contributed to us losing football games. In some cases, did contribute to us losing football games. Um, so it was just, it was, it was all the way around. There's plenty of blame to go around. Uh, but those numbers are bad. So how much improvement do you expect this year? Like, so it's easy to say we're going to improve, but what does that mean? Does that mean from, we're going to improve from 11th to 10th? I don't see him going to 75% completion right Hell no, that's not going to happen. He's not, he never realistic, but I can see him creeping up more towards the 65% completion percentage, which isn't bad. 65%? I think oh, you can see God. him. He's at fifty-five last year. We're gonna have to give him a lot more high percentage throws than we did last year if that's gonna happen. Which I think we will. I mean, um, I think they're gonna try to get him more comfortable, more high percentage throws, and I think at the same time, I think we'll try to get our guys in better positions for the ball. Also, I'm looking this. Uh, I'm just sixty-five percent. I'm. Looking, I mean, I, I say that's the highest. I mean, I yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not trying to kill you on that. Si- I I'm was just think in the 60 to 62 range. So Aaron Murray never had – and I'm not trying to kill you, man. Just for my own reference here, his senior year, Aaron Murray had a 64.8% completion percentage. And that was Aaron – I mean, that was kind of what he did well. That was as a senior. I don't – Eason's not going to get that. If, if Eason's near – if he's hovering around 60-ish percent, I'll consider it – I'll take that, right? Yeah, I could see 60 to 62% just in I'll the fact that. that I think we have better players um, than we did then. And at the same sure. time – you know, Murray had his faults, too, for being so young. I mean, the guy couldn't throw over the middle of the field. Well, yeah, and Murray's freshman year, he was at six, as a, tr- I mean, as a I retro mean, well, freshman, I mean, 61%. Also, the fact that when he was short, he couldn't complete a ball sure. over the middle of the field. Sure. He couldn't throw a screen pass. Yeah, that, that was not existent for a while there. That's true. Um, yeah, look, I, I think the passing game, I, I actually feel pretty confident the passing game is going to be improved. Um, I think Easton's more knowledgeable. He's got, he's, yeah, he's, he seems I more comfortable. He's, but, he appears to improve his accuracy. Exactly, and I think he's taking more leadership role, and you know, takes he knows what he has to improve on because he actually, like he said, I mean, when you come from Washington, who I mean, first off, it's not SEC football, and it's not even just, it wouldn't even compare to the state of Georgia high school football, where he was able to put up just video game numbers. I mean, you look at yourself and you're not like, all right, I don't know how much I have that I can get better at because we watch film, you do all these things, but then you come to Georgia and those you see, and then you know, really shines a bright light on what you need to fix. Yeah, and I think one thing that people just completely glossed over and, and didn't really take into account, and we've mentioned this a couple of times, he was translating his game from a sp- entirely spread based system to a pro style system, which is so foreign to him. It, to anyone making that change who has no background in a pro style system, it, 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 there's a major misnomer out there. People with all the window dressing and motion and creative formations you see out of spread sets. People think those are often not say everybody, but a lot of people think those are more complex systems. They are they are very simple systems. Most spread systems, like the air raid system, is maybe the most simple offense in the history of football. It's so simple. There's like five or six plays they run. Uh, they basically just tell the guys it's like backyard football. Go run to green grass essentially. But when you come to the pro style system, they're actually it's way intensely more complicated. There's more responsibility of the quarterback in terms of protections and reads, audibling out of plays, doing different things. 
the verbiage is so much more complex. Uh, It's insane. So he was actually moving from a a more simplistic offense to a much more complex offense and expected to operate that much more complex offense as a true freshman uh, in the SEC against some of the best defensive competition in in all the land. So I think with that year under his belt, he's clearly going to be more knowledgeable. Not knowledgeable enough. Maybe not as knowledgeable he's going to be in a year or two down the road, but more knowledgeable than last year. More comfortable. He appears to have improved accuracy. Uh, and, and really just a, a better general understanding of how to play that position at this level, right? I mean, he's going yeah. to. And I, I will say, I mean, I, I want to put a caveat in here. I still want to see all that translate into actual games. I do. Yeah, like, but like he seems poised said, to make a show. He was right in the press conference. You know, you can, you're a professional golfer. You can go out and play uh, 18 holes any day of the week and have the perfect swing. Everything goes right. But when you're in crunch time, you may revert back to yourself. So we have to see. Jordan Spieth. Yeah. Yeah. Phil Mickelson back in the day. Wingfoot, yeah, it happens. Uh, yeah, and you you talk about the wide receivers. Look, I mentioned that I'm I'm a big believer in the talent we have wide receiver. I, I recognize there's very little in the way of proven production, but the talent's there. I, I, and one thing we haven't mentioned yet, I think, is big. I also believe schematically we will look a little different. Okay, we ha- we, uh, we mentioned this earlier that you couldn't. It's really difficult, especially in the college system where you only have these guys for 20 hours a week during the season, and you also are, at that same time, you, get, you break down films from the, from the uh, opponents, you got to put your game plan in, you got to do all of that. It's very difficult to completely uh, uproot your entire system. But when you have an, an entire offseason do that, you can, not, you can do more than just tweak. Um, so I think our, our, schematically, I think we will look a little bit different. Uh, I don't think it's reasonable to expect wholesale change. I don't think Jim Chang is going to completely uproot his entire philosophy. But uh, so I think the structure and formations will largely be the same. But I do think you will see much more of a concerted effort to give Eason more high percentage throws and uh, utilize the versatility of our, uh, of our weapons that we do have. We have a number of weapons out there. I think we'll utilize their versatility a little better. I mean, we talked about this. You know, you're going to see RPOs more off, more often than not. Uh, I think that's going to happen. I think you're, you know you implement like use your screen game a little bit more than we did last year, give Easton some of those high percentage throws. And that will that will keep us more uh, on on pace, ahead of the chains, uh, get first downs, kind of keep us out of those third and long situations, keep us uh, ahead of the chains, you know, second and six, third and two, something like that, as opposed to constantly third and nine, third and ten, third and twelve, whatever it is. So if you combine all of that with what I expect to be an improved quarterback, more talent at wide receiver, I do, I really do. Uh, I think it's very reasonable to expect to see a nice, solid jump in the passing game this year. I really, I really believe that. I absolutely do. All right, let's move over to the defense side of the ball here for a few minutes. Uh, the defense is, you know, this was not the problem last year. We we were very good defensively. Would you say we were great last year defensively? No, we really lacked in the red yeah, zone. Yeah, we were not great. We were really good uh, in certain areas, and we were a good, solid top 20 level defense. But top 20 level defense in the SEC might be fourth best in the conference, which is what we were in most major stats last year. We were about fourth in the SEC, which is solid, but it's not to win the SEC. We've got to get better. We've got to jump to take the next step to get to elite. So can we do that? That's the question. So um, look, just a couple stats here for you. I'm going to put my devil's advocate hat back on here. So last year defensively, the power success rate uh, of opponents against us was 110th national. So that's basically when our opponents – were in situations of third, third and fourth down, two yards or less to go, they were converting it far, far too often. We were 110th nationally in, in, in winning those situations. Uh, stuff rate, uh, stopping uh, opponents at or behind the line of scrimmage on any given play, we were 101st nationally in that category. So 
right there that tells you we were not dominant up front last year. Actually, we were far from it. Like, we were we weren't we weren't that good up front, at least against the run. Um, and but surprisingly, we were actually 34th nationally in adjusted sack rate. And what we mean by adjusted sack rate is adjusted for a number of uh, attempts of your opponents. Uh, it's not just the number of total sacks. It wouldn't be fair if you if you're playing with opponents that don't throw the ball as often like we do with Georgia Tech. Uh, so we were decent there, better than you would think, at least than I thought, watching games. But Havoc rate, which is basically how disruptive your your uh, team is, tackles were lost, sacks, deflected passes, we were only 60th nationally there, we're kind of right in the middle of the pack. And you mentioned it, red zone touchdown scoring percentage was atrocious, 121st nationally, well-documented stat, 75 freaking percent of the time that our opponents got in the red zone. They were not just scoring, but scoring touchdowns. So... Okay, we were good last year defensively. We weren't great. We weren't we were well, we weren't fantastic. We were good. So with those numbers, do you really expect that this is a defense that's poised to take the next step into the elite level of defenses in college football? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that go into all those numbers that were created. I mean, think first off, the defensive line led better suspended half the season. Um, we have we're forced to play people like David Marshall and other freshmen who are very inexperienced. We talk about talent over inexperience. Those guys were extremely inexperienced, and so they had to learn on the fly. Uh, meet Kel Carter, Tyler Clark, Julian Rochester, all those guys. And then you also had a very inconsistent play out of Trent. Then you look on uh, the inside linebacker. Uh, Nate Trez misses what four games. Was it four? And, Definitely a couple down the stretch. At least, at least the last two and a half. And but uh, more than that. that killed us with him and Reggie Carter back there. Uh, yeah. That really, uh, he's just not the same player that Natrez is. And at the same time, you know, you look at uh, the numbers Missouri put up on us before we move over to uh, before we got rid of Juan Briscoe. Yeah, Briscoe. Yeah, before we got rid of Briscoe. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think uh, it's another one of those scheme things. I mean, we're in year one under these guys, and we're trying to, you know, really figure out what we have and. I think as year two, our guys are able to – I mean, you, it's it's a proven fact that players don't play full speed when they're not 100% what they're doing. And I think now you see our guys going into year two that they know what to do, they know what to expect, and they know where to be, and they're able to play quicker that way. But, I mean, you say last year was year one, but the uh, the defense was basically the same as what Jeremy Pruitt was running. I mean, it's the Alabama-style well, defense. Jeremy Pruitt protected the DBs. He did some more than Kirby. He did. Or more than Tucker, whoever you want to believe is calling plays or running that defense. Probably Tucker. We'll go with that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I want to believe this defense is ready to take that next step. You would think, what, with 10 starters back, essentially? I don't see them being top five nationally, but I see them being better than what we have. Okay, then uh, what are you looking at? So not top five nationally. We were, we were top 20 last year. I think we were like 16th overall in total defense. I could see us get into the, the 8 to 12 range. If we can get in the top 10, we're going to win the SEC East. If this defense is a top 10 national defense, we're going to win the SEC East. Uh, and I hope that's – I think there's definitely the potential there, but there are holes. And I know we have 10 starters coming back, and Kirby's been on this, and I totally agree. I'm glad he's he says this because I have been on this. I've been on this, and I don't – you know, people don't – they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, no, the defense is not going to be a problem. you got 10 starters coming back. You only lose Mo, Mo Smith there in the star position. We should be fine. On the surface, yeah, I see that. And everyone's like, yeah, Bellamy's coming back. Lorenzo Carr's coming back. Okay, what have they done to make us, Lorenzo Carter, Devin, like, what have they ever done to make us get that excited about them coming back for their senior year? Like, what did they, they, they both were, they're supposed to be, I mean, these guys were, I don't even understand why they were even considering an NFL jump last year. They both had five sacks each last year. What makes a big deal about them coming back is more or less that they didn't get a good grading. That's what happened. They weren't, they, they just weren't good enough to go pro last year. It wasn't that they were taking one for the team. That's not what it was. Hell, they, they would have taken the money if it was there. They were the grade they got. You're right. What they were told when the, the, when they got their feedback from the NFL Draft Advisory Committee, 
it, it didn't look good for them. That's why they came back. They weren't good enough. So, so guys that weren't good enough to go pro as juniors, they're coming back, and we're expecting them to make a huge jump in their senior year. Like, how reasonable is that? Not very reasonable. I mean, because I, I, I've said this a lot in the past. By the time you're a senior, you're a junior, senior. When you come back for your senior That's year, Bellamy, who's gonna be a fifth year. Yeah, Bellamy's gonna be a fifth year. The dude's like thirty-seven years old or something. I don't know, but like at this point, yeah, you can make you can make moderate improvement. You, you can get a little stronger. You can put on a little good weight. Like I'll give Lorenzo credit; he's put on some really good weight. He worked with Chuck Smith in the offseason. We'll see if that translates to the field. I don't know, but in many ways, I'm a believer in. By the time you're a senior, are you not just you are who you are at that point? Like, like how much better can you really get? Yeah, but I also I will skin Lorenzo the fact that I think he was stunted a little bit in Jeremy Pruitt's system where he was forced really to come in on third downs and just drop back. Yeah, to this point in his career, his best season was like, he looked his best his freshman year. I remember when he got his first start against Kentucky because uh, Leonard Floyd had set out with a shoulder injury. I was at that game, and uh, he, he looked a monster. He looked, he looked like a freaking monster. He was about to take the world by storm, and then it just back it just he he backtracked from there. And I haven't seen that Lorenzo Carter again. Uh, at least not really to this point. I mean, he's, he and I'll give Lorenzo credit. The guy plays hard, man. Like the guy hustles around. He flies around. He's got a great motor. I love watching. I love the guy. I do. I want him to be good. I, I I've been saying forever. I think he has one of the highest athletic ceilings on the team. I just haven't seen it on the field in terms of translating to being a football player. And he did put on good weight. He's, he looked good. See if he can hold hold all that weight through fall camp. It's about two forty right now. Um, and. Uh, you know, he worked for Chuck Smith. You know, he needs to, like we mentioned a lot on the show on Monday. He needs to work on converting speed to power. He's got plenty of athleticism. He's got to work on his pass rushing repertoire a little bit. I want to see more from him. He, he's got the skill. I just, I don't know if it's reasonable to expect him to improve right now. I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful that he can reach that ceiling or come closer to it. But when I've been waiting year, year after year after year with Lorenzo, I've been full time after time after time. I don't, I, I don't know if it's fair to expect that. Does that make sense? Yeah, and Bellamy. I think Bellamy. I think honestly, Bellamy is a pretty good player, and I, I think that's all Bellamy is ever going to be. Like, it, I hope he proves me wrong. I I just don't know if there is an elite player in Davin Bellamy. I think he's a solid player who knows what to do, uh, and can do things the right way most of the time. But I don't think he's an explosive pass rusher. Uh, I and he can hold up against the run fairly well, setting the edge. But he also loses contain like Lorenzo does too far too often. So those guys coming back. That we got a lot of pub for. Yeah, they're coming back. I don't know what that means for him. Then you got the secondary, who we have everybody coming back except for the star position, which actually might be a guy coming back because we might be putting Aaron Davis there to see how that shakes out with J.R. Reed at safety. But we've at least got four out of your five starting uh, DBs back. But we talked about this before. How good are these guys? Yeah, they played so many snaps, they played forever, but can this unit take a step forward and become? Uh, an elite unit? Do we have guys that can become shutdown corners on this team? Do we have that? No. So, okay, so we don't have that there. So, really, how much better can this defense be? Were we not maybe possibly maxed out at 16th nationally, like top 15-ish? I don't think so. I mean, the fact was, I mean, we had guys in there at times that just looked terrible, and yet we still finished that high. I'm talking about people like Reggie Carter and things when we had to start with Juwan Briscoe and different things. And then we also, uh, Aaron Davis played in multiple positions, and he, he may be good at certain things, but he, there was times where we had to go with Quincy Malje, who was very, very a liability. Yes, he was very much a liability, um, and he really, he came in the dime situation. He played safety. We moved, but still, I mean, AD. it's not a good. It's not you don't good. want you didn't want to have to have him on the field. Like you ideally, don't want him to come you in. want more talented players than that for sure, for sure. 
Um, yeah, man. Look, okay, here's okay. I'm gonna take my devil's advocate hat off. Let me give you my personal take on it. I think we'll be better defensively. I think we will take a a, a decent step forward, uh, and I think we could potentially be hovering around the. I think you're right, eight to twelve-ish. That would be incredible. If we were inside the top ten, I feel really good about that. Uh, I, I'm not in love with the secondary. I think we have solid players back there who know what to do, who should not be having many busts. That sh- really that should not be happening much. But in terms of pure athleticism and going out there and making plays, I, I don't know, man. Like DeAndre Baker might be the closest guy who can actually go out there and make plays. And then if you got D'Angelo Gibbs, if he ends up taking to one of those spots, maybe the star position, then okay. Uh, he can do, he's a guy that can do a lot of things for us, but he's got to be show that he's ready from a mental standpoint. However, I love our front seven, and I think our front seven is ready to take a step forward, particularly the interior defensive line and our inside linebacking core. Uh, Trent Thompson, I think what you saw in that bowl game against TCU, three sacks, five tackles for loss, I think that's a Trent Thompson we're going to see a lot of this year. He's He could always do that in spurts when he felt like it, but he didn't always feel like it. I'm hopeful, at least, that he can take that next step and be a more consistently dominant player up front because that's oftentimes the difference between a a, a really good defense and elite defense is having that dominant, consistently dominant defensive tackle that can separate you. I think he can be that. And if you couple him with guys on the interior, like Tyler Clark, I think he's ready for another big year. He put on some good weight. Julian Rochester, who started quite a few games last year ahead of Trent Thompson. Uh, Mikel Carter, uh, he's a guy that was highly recruited out of high school. I think he can definitely do some really good things for us. You got John John Atkins back to kind of anchor things at the, at the nose tackle position. Daquan Hawkins, Michael, plenty of depth there. And you got the five technique guys. I think John Ledbetter, I mean, you know, you guys know how we feel about him. I think he might be the breakout player in the defense this year. Uh, well, probably not. Well, Roquan's probably going to be that guy, but if he hasn't already broken out. But he's going to be a great player for us. Um, David Marshall, I really like that. We don't have a ton of, of the five technique body type guys, but the guys we do have. Ledbetter, David Marshall, Chauncey and Axman getting some looks there. Those are really talented players that are going to do some really good things for us. Uh, the, the inside linebackers, I think I I will say it again. Roquan Smith, I cannot imagine right now that there is a better inside linebacker than Roquan Smith in this league. He's that good. I mean, and I don't see any way he comes back for a senior year right now. I don't. I just don't see it. He's too freaking good. Natrez looks like he's ready. He's kind of improved his game, become a little more versatile, being able to defend more in space. So I love what we have in the front seven, particularly against the run. I do think we'll be able to get after the pass a little bit more. I think we're going to be a little more creative in that front. I think we're going to use our linebackers, particularly Natrez, uh, rushing the passer a little bit. He has that in his background coming out of high school as a pass rusher. Um, so I think by virtue of the defensive front, and that front seven, we will be better. It just remains to be seen how much better. I just don't think – I think our secondary will be solid. They'll be good enough. They shouldn't give up a ton of huge plays on blown assignments. But um, I don't know if we have – a dominant shutdown type secondary, uh, unless some of these young guys are ready to play early and play some big snaps, and because they are the talented guys. And Kirby, you know, I listened to his interview today. He, he's, he, of course, he's on it. He, it's his team. He knows it. We're in the secondary. We got this weird dynamic where we have we have old veteran players who played so many games, and then you have freshmen, okay, who have done nothing. Who played zero snaps. There's nothing in the middle. There's nothing there of guys that have played some but haven't been starters for that long. You don't have that. It's it's all or nothing in secondary. So be interesting to see how that shakes out. But I, I do think that we could be improved. Um, just how much remains to be seen. And that, that power success rate, the stuff rate, that's going to improve. I think our front seven is going to be a lot better this year. So, yeah, there we go. All right, so that kind of wraps it up for us for the most part here. I'm going to just throw at you one more time here. Just kind of summarize this for me. Give me a, a brief little summary of why you expect us overall to be improved this season. I just believe we have better players on the roster last year than we did. Um, I think Kirby did a little bit better job managing our roster and replacing some players that 
you know, we're kind of we're not going to contribute. They were dead weight. Let's just say, yeah, they're pretty much dead weight placeholders. And he's got some guys who are ready to contribute and that just need some time. And I think they will be ready to go. And uh, I think at the same time, uh, the experience from the younger guys that we were forced to play last year, also. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a. I'm this again. No devil's advocate here. It's just my opinion. Uh, I think we're going to be improved this year. I, I think we are a ten and two caliber team. Uh, I don't know if we're much beyond that. I think if things fall our way and we get a couple breaks here and there, we could be a little, we could maybe touch eleven and one ish. But ten and two, nine and three ish. I think nine and three could happen. Um, just, but I, 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 I could see a ten and two, nine and three type team here for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think we're gonna our passing game is gonna improve dramatically. I think Jacob Easton's ready to take a step forward. I think we have better options and more options at wide receiver. I think the guys that were our most talented options last year, outside of Isaiah McKenzie, they weren't quite ready last year. This year, I think they are going to be ready. And you can work in some of the young talent with those guys with more options there. Um, the running Chubb looks like he's ready to be healthy, be the old Nick Chubb again, I hope, at least. We've got even more running backs. You add, you add DeAndre Swift into the, equa- into the equation there. So we've got depth there. We've got talent there. The offensive line is still a question mark. But if Eason is able to open the passing, and I've said this, and I, I will stick to it, for us to take a big step forward offensively, one of two things has to happen. Either our offensive line has to improve to the point that we can handle stacked boxes because that's how defenses are going to attack us. So they attacked us all last year, and they're going to attack us like that to open the year this year. The problem was we couldn't, we couldn't get any moving against those looks up front, and we also couldn't throw them out of those looks. We could not make them pay for it. So one of two things has to happen. Either the offensive line has to improve enough to where we can manhandle uh, defenses when they try to do that and open up space regardless of how many guys they put at the line of scrimmage, or the passing game has to improve enough to where we can force them out of those looks by hurting them with the passing game. One of those two things has to happen. It'd be awesome if both happened. That's probably not that likely. I will say the passing game, I think, is going to improve enough to hurt defenses to force them out of those looks uh, more often than not, and that will open up things for the running game, and we'll just look like a more cohesive unit, a more balanced unit, and just a more efficient, effective unit. I think Cheney's... Uh, Changes he's made to the offense throughout the offseason, although it hasn't been entirely on display. I really got a, a, a pretty solid look at them at the open scrimmage. Or not the open scrimmage, I'm sorry, the first spring scrimmage. Got, got a chance to watch that. G-Day, we didn't see much of it. We didn't see much of it at, at the open practice last week. But I, I feel confident that, that he's going to implement some things to make this official offense a little more efficient, give Easton some easy throws. Defensively, like I said, the front seven, I think we have some guys that were really young that played a lot of snaps last year who were up and down. Those guys are ready to take another step forward. You have John the Ledbetter back for a full season uh, after missing the first half of the season last year. Trent Thompson's ready to take another step. Davin and Lorenzo, those guys have played a lot of snaps for us. I don't know if Davin's ever going to be elite. I think Lorenzo has the potential. Uh, I think it's probably be his best year. How good that best year ends up being remains to be seen. Uh, but when you have a guy like Trent Thompson, you have a guy like Roquan Smith, these are both all SEC caliber players, all, I mean, potentially all American caliber players if they live up to their potential. That, that's a pretty good starting point. Uh, and it's, like you mentioned, it's year two in the system, both offensively and defensively. We understand our talent. They understand what's expected. They can, fly, like you mentioned, fly around the ball a little faster because if you don't know what to do, you're right. You can't fly around as fast. Um, so for all those reasons, I do think, um, despite some some question marks that that are admittedly there, I do expect this team to be improved to the point of a, a nine and three, ten and two type team. Uh, and we'll see what that does for us in the SEC East and the SEC as a whole in a couple of weeks as we get to our off season or season predictions, I guess I should say. All right, guys, well, that does it for us today. Just a quick reminder: send us all your bold predictions in for our listeners' bold prediction show that we're going to run next week. Can be about players, units, how we're going to finish, what our record is going to be. Uh, what our opponents are going to do, all that kind of, any and all of that. Send us your ball predictions, glory underscore UJ on Twitter, uh, glory UJ podcast at gmail.com. 
uh, email, and then uh, also the Glory UGA podcast Facebook page. So we always appreciate you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed the show today. And uh, for Kurt, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.